We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. This broadcast is proprietary information except where noted that the information comes from outside sources. The combination of this information and the manner presented is exclusive and cannot be repeated or reused without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Overwatch, airing only on Firefall Talk Radio and the Firefall Network. You may not always agree with our point of view, a spiritual, biblical viewpoint, and even if you don't agree with it or understand it, you will be challenged, informed, and hopefully inspired to do your own research to know more. You should want to know more, to come to your own conclusions. Overwatch was created to take Reflections in the Dark to the next level. Reflections in the Dark was a boots-on-the-ground point of view. Overwatch is a view from above, a point of view with a distinctive spiritual and, at times, biblical viewpoint, biblical mindset, biblical perspective. Now, you may not see that or agree with it. We just simply ask that you keep an open mind. Because that's how we're going to do it. That's how Overwatch does things. We take a spiritual, supernatural viewpoint of current events, politics, finance, cybersecurity, and trends, prophecy in the end times, religion, and the paranormal, and offer it to you for your consideration. Do not be ignorant. Do not be caught off guard. Hello, I'm Richard Grund, and welcome to Overwatch. We're taking an Overwatch examination into the baby steps that are bringing us to Babylon, a place of influence and the rule of the Antichrist. Whether figurative or literal, we're seeing it being revealed in our society in so many ways. The COVID-19 pandemic is waning exactly as I said it would, and also I mentioned that come June things would begin to open up, and they have. But many more things have been revealed in the process. Doctors are admitting that the virus has a specific lifespan. 
Restrictions, however, are still in place for going to church, work, or play in some states. In many of those states, protesting, rioting, and looting has seen no governmental restrictions. Some even have told their police to stand down and have not ordered the National Guard in place. That's pretty amazing. You can't go to work. You can't go anywhere without wearing a mask. You can't play. You, in many places, still can't go to the gym. But you can protest and riot and nothing happens. Gee, I wonder what that's all about. Masks? No mask. Who knows? Even though the doctors and scientists and epidemiologists are confirming exactly what I stated, that masks are unhealthy for healthy people. You're being forced to rebreathe your own CO2, and they're also finding both the mask and the ventilators are making people who are sick with COVID-19 even sicker by driving the virus deep into their lungs. That's not to say that the masks don't help people who are over the age of 65 or have underlying health conditions. Those are the people we should have been isolating. Those are the people we should have been protecting and using the masks on. But that's not what they did. They shut down an entire society and did exactly the opposite of what they should have. Stay inside. Stay six feet apart. All of these things by the doctors and CDC and World Health Organization who vacillate back and forth as to what to do did nothing to stop the virus. In fact, many of the positive cases came from people who were sheltered in place. A flu virus, which COVID-19 is, man-made or not, will hit the elderly and those with medical conditions the hardest. Who suffered the most from sheltering in place? The elderly and those with underlying medical conditions. It's being reported by the CDC and major news outlets that one-third of all U.S. coronavirus deaths came from nursing home residents or workers. Some states like New York, New Jersey, and California did so and regretted it. Too little, too late. People lost their parents, grandparents, in-laws to this ridiculous decision to put unhealthy, infected people with other people. In a Fox News op-ed, Janice Dean, meteorologist for Fox News, stated, Coronavirus cost my in-laws their lives. Governor Cuomo, our vulnerable loved ones, deserved better. How, how, how can it be that government officials can make mistakes like this and suffer no repercussions, suffer no punishments? They'd make decisions that hurt people. Emotional Dean said, I have not seen the coverage of this. 20% of our loved ones are from nursing homes because Governor Cuomo and several other governors forced COVID-recovering patients into nursing homes. These people are real people. They're not just numbers on a curve. But no response. Cuomo has been criticized for his decision. He did reverse it on May 10th. His order has been scrubbed from the website. But as I said before, too little, too late, Governor Cuomo.
So isolation did nothing to stop it. Masks did nothing to stop it. Six feet apart was a placebo to offer a false feeling of safety. In actuality, there is no science to back it up. Experts believe the virus is mainly spread through droplets that come out of your mouth and nose. However, a number of tests using actual research showed the droplets can travel much further. When an infected person speaks, exhales, coughs, or sneezes, the droplets travel about three to six feet before gravity pulls them to the ground. That's what they believe. That's why they stated that. Now, scientists admit, What's actually safe is unknown. It may depend on many factors, including whether people are inside or outdoors, how loudly people are speaking, whether they're wearing a mask, how ventilated the room is, and how far the virus can really fly. The Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, reported on March 26 that in the case of a sneeze, the droplets can travel as far as 23 to 27 feet. They added there's no reason to believe that the virus travels the six feet recommended. A March 17th study in the New England Journal of Medicine found that in an independent study, the aerosol droplets of infectious SARS-CoV-2 particles can stay in the air for as long as three hours. So what was the point? Well, they were practicing medicine and they're practicing on us. If the mask worked, social distancing wasn't needed. If social distancing worked, the masks weren't needed. If neither work, this was an exercise in fear and control through that fear. We shut down the society. And for what? Many news outlets and experts are stating that the shutdown cost the U.S. $11 billion and tens of thousands of lives. Unemployment is at its greatest since the Great Depression. It's risen from 3% in a quarter to 15%. Each 1% increase in the unemployment rate in the U.S. with the 330 million population will lead to 69,300 additional suicides. TheGatewayPundit.com reported that based on the current predictions, those Percentage points, 12 to 15 percent, could lead to an estimated 831,600 U.S. suicides when done. There have been possibly 28,797 more deaths from opiate use, and the suicides are up, according to the John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek, California. They're reporting that they're seeing more deaths from suicide than from COVID-19. What do you think people do when they become depressed? What do you think people do when they're out of work? What do you think people do when they're isolated and lonely? They seek things to numb their pain, therefore the opiate abuse. The Tennessee Department of Health reported back in March that they were seeing more deaths from suicide than from the coronavirus. Isolation, economic stress, fear of the unknown have put a society on edge and made people desperate. ABCnews.com, the current pandemic, is not just a medical tragedy. Even when the medical threat has disappeared, psychiatrists say people across the globe will battle psychological scars for years. TheGuardian.com, long-term isolation, even increases the risk of premature death. is being called a social recession, 
to match any economic downturn also caused by the growing pandemic and can have profound physical and psychological effects. This is the quote from Julianne Holt Lundsted, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University. People who are more socially connected show less inflammation. Conversely, people who are more isolated and lonely show increased chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation has been implicated in a variety of chronic diseases. We also have evidence that this is linked to cardiovascular function like blood pressure, heart rate, circulating stress hormones. It's been linked to even cellular aging. Loneliness increases earlier death by 26%. Social isolation, 29%. Living alone by 32%. Well, another thing we've seen is the division of people into sides. Riots and looting across America and the world is forcing people to take sides. Division does that. That's what this, I believe, has been all about. The one thing in the way of the globalist desire for a new world order has been America and the church. And what two things have been attacked the worst? America and the church. We'll be right back and we'll pick up Baby Steps to Babylon. Hello, I'm Richard Grund. You know, we're being encouraged to keep a safe distance and stay at home for our own safety, watching our hands, being proactive against infection, and I get that. It's important. What no one seems to be promoting is building your immune system to give it the ability to withstand this and any virus. People that are the most at risk are the ones with compromised immune system. And that doesn't just mean underlying medical issues. That means unhealthy, weak bodies. We should be working hard at building strong immune systems, eating right, taking the right quality supplements, exercise, and get some sunshine. God gave us this amazing body, and we should be taking better care of it. If you need help with that, look no further than my son, Jesse Grund, certified strength coach and mobility expert. His company, Unconventional Strength, at unconstrength.com, U-N-C-O-N-S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H.com. He's also on Facebook and Instagram. You will get knowledgeable, quality information and be supporting a small business owner. Workouts and nutritional information you can apply wherever you are. You may say, I can't afford to, but can you afford not to? It's your body, your health. It's an investment in yourself. Fireful Talk Radio. Enlighten. Inspire. Encourage. Division. Riots. Looting. Violence. Well, all of this right now supposedly is being caused by the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Mr. Floyd died during an aggressive police arrest for being impaired and forgery for the use of counterfeit money. It's reported he resisted arrest and while an officer using what is now being reported as standard Minneapolis Police Department use of knee on carotid artery on the neck of the perpetrator, if you want to call him that, it was used on Mr. Floyd 
and he subsequently died, according to the WashingtonTime.com, May 29, 2020, asphyxiation not the cause of George Floyd's death. George Floyd died Monday from a combination of pre-existing health conditions exacerbated by being held down by Minneapolis officers, not from strangulation or asphyxiation based on the medical examiner's initial report. Preliminary findings from a Tuesday autopsy conducted by Hennepin County medical examiner found, quote, no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxiation or strangulation, according to the criminal complaint filed Friday against former officer Derek Michael Chauvin. Quote, Mr. Floyd had an underlying health condition including coronary artery disease and hypertensive heart disease, said the complaint from the Hennepin County attorney. The combined effects of Mr. Floyd being restrained by police, his underlying health condition, and any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. The Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, was fired earlier this week and was charged Friday with third-degree murder and manslaughter for kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. The video showed he was unresponsive for at least 2 minutes and 53 seconds. Police are trained that this type of restraint with the subject in a prone position is inherently dangerous, the complaint said. Foxnews.com attorneys for George Floyd's family released the results of an independent autopsy report Monday showing that Floyd's death was caused by asphyxia due to neck and back compressions that led to a lack of blood flow to the brain. The family's attorney, Benjamin Crump, announced the autopsy results during an afternoon press conference. Crump said the autopsy found the compression cut off blood to Floyd's brain and weight on his back made it hard to breathe. The family's autopsy the family's autopsy differed from the official Hennepin County medical examiner's autopsy, so I guess we'll be straightening this out in court. The death of George Floyd has ignited protests in Minneapolis and at least six other cities across the United States. Some of the protests have been peaceful while many others have been destructive. Minneapolis has been the epicenter of the protests with state police and bodyguard armor and riot gear lined up overnight near the city's police precinct that was eventually set ablaze and destroyed by protesters. Riots and looting are happening in many other cities as well. Civil disturbances, things like that, these things happen during times of financial hardships, rioting, looting. All of these things are a result of isolation and the breakdown of community and culture. What cities are having the greatest number of riots, looting, and damage? Cities that delayed opening things up or are still on COVID-19 lockdown, and the majority are in blue states with Democratic leadership. We saw riots and looting like this after the 1992 death of Rodney King in Los Angeles and the 2015 death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. The same occurred in 2011 in London after the death of Mark Duggan, a black man shot and killed by police during an operation to stop gun crime. After Duggan's death, riots broke out across Great Britain. 
Youths ransacked London, often targeting brand-name stores seeking fashion goods. Police and authorities blamed a social media platform for fueling the attacks. Well, five years later, nothing seems to have changed. Passions ignite, and those looking to take advantage of the situation escalated into mayhem, destruction, and death. WashingtonPost.com, Timothy Parsons, a former chief inspector with the City of London Police, said in an interview with the Washington Post this week that an analysis of the arrest after the London riots showed the vast majority of the city's looters in 2011 were prior criminals. He also noted that the looting occurs when there is motive and opportunity and that it doesn't necessarily have any real connection to the underlying reason for the unrest, quote, some were prolific criminals with many convictions, Parsons said. Of the remainder, the makeup was mixed, but essentially opportunist offenders who acted spontaneously thinking that they wouldn't get caught. University of Leeds sociologist Paul Baguli told the Post that looting often comes amid havoc on the streets when police are likely to be distracted by violence. Quote, during riots, the normal rules of behavior are suspended. Participants often describe a sense of freedom so that normal respect for private property is suspended, Bagoli said. In addition, contemporary societies are consumer societies where one's status and participation in society is defined by consumer goods. Hence, those excluded from consumption, the poor, are during riot conditions often able to obtain valued items. Well, gee, I wonder why they looted Target. Well, I, I theorize that because they know where everything is, but that's just a guess. Well, as an FYI, in case you're ever playing Double Jeopardy, and this comes up as a question, make sure you offer it in the form of an answer. In the 5th century AD, the Vandals, a Germanic tribe, sacked Rome, and in doing so became the namesake of willful destruction, otherwise known as vandalism. Breitbart.com, June 1st, 2020. Appearing Monday on ABC's Good Morning America, George Floyd's brother Terrence issued a plea for calm as protests descended into riots, saying, Violent unrest is not what my brother was about. I do feel like it's overshadowing what's going on because, like I said, he was about peace. He was about unity. But the things transpiring now, they may call it unity, but it's destructive unity. That's not what my brother was about. He went on to say, It's okay to be angry but channel your anger to do something positive or make a change another way because we've been down this road already. We've been down this road already. He would want us to seek justice, but to do it another way. Anger, damaging your hometown, that's just not the way he wanted. Many of the original protesters have claimed that their protest has been hijacked by others who are committing the violence. NewYorkTimes.com, May 31, 2020. We have reason to believe that bad actors continue to infiltrate the rightful protest of George Floyd's murder, which is why we are extending the curfew by one day, Governor Tim Waltz of Minnesota. In New York City, a senior police official said anarchists had planned to start mayhem in the city even before the protest started, using encrypted communication to raise bail money and to recruit medics. 
During the demonstration, they maintained supply routes to distribute gasoline, rocks, and bottles, and also dispatched scouts to find areas devoid of police officers, said John Miller, the deputy commissioner in charge of the police department's counterterrorism and intelligence efforts. Miller went on, they prepared to commit property damage and directed people who were following them that this should be done selectively and only in wealthier areas or at high-end stores run by corporate entities. This was during a telephone briefing with reporters. Such activities still under investigation, Mr. Miller said, but many participants were from outside New York. They instructed group leaders to tell the people following them that this was not meant to be orderly activity. Pallets of bricks are turning up on corners of various protest areas with no construction sites nearby. One name that keeps coming up in regards as to who is behind the violence? Well, since 2017, the group at the forefront of these riots, looting and destruction, is known as Antifa. Antifa stands for Anti-Fascist Act. Their logo says, Abolish Capitalism, Smash Fascism. They're known as left-wing, anti-fascist, militant political activist movement. Their tactics lean more towards anarchy and physical acts of violence and destruction. According to InfluenceWatch.org, Antifa's lack of centralized structure makes it difficult to calculate the movement's size and membership. While interest has spiked since the 2016 presidential election, it remains virtually impossible to quantify how many people are active members or supporters of Antifa. The chapters of Antifa are loosely connected, highly secretive, and organized mostly on message boards such as Reddit and over social networks like Twitter and Facebook. Liberal commentator Peter Beinart reported, according to New York City Antifa, the group's Twitter following nearly quadrupled in the first three weeks of January alone. By summer, exceeded 15,000. The BBC reported that It's Going Down, an Antifa-aligned website, which received around 300 hits daily in 2015, now garners between 10 to 20,000 hits a day. Antifa groups directly advocate violence and don't apologize when violence breaks out at their rallies. Their methods are often violent, and Antifa leaders admit they're willing to physically attack anyone who employs violence against them or who condones racism as long as force is used in the name of eradicating hatred. As one Antifa leader explained, you have to put your body in the way, and you have to make it speak in the language that they understand, and sometimes that is violence. Anti-fascists rationalize their violent actions as defensive. They argue hate speech against vulnerable minorities leads to violence against vulnerable minorities. BBCnews.com, August 14, 2017. Black Lives Matter is the group Antifa collaborates with the most frequently. According to CNN in 2017, they're coming out year and their main goal is disrupting neo-Nazis and white supremacists seeking peace through violence. One of the buildings attacked and looted and lobbies destroyed was the CNN headquarters in Atlanta this weekend. Hmm, I guess they didn't like the coverage. The prime goal of far-left Antifa is to get rid of America's whiteness as a race, according to a handbook written by a historian who helped organize the anarchist 
Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. Vox.com, June 2020. If the alt-left exists, it probably best represented by Antifa, a loose network of left-wing activists who physically resist people they consider fascists. They're often the scruffy, bandana-clad people who show up at alt-right rallies or speaking events in order to shut them down before they happen, and they openly embrace violence as justifiable means to that end. Antifa is not a monolithic organization, nor does it have anything like an ordered leadership structure. It's an umbrella group that shares a number of causes, the most important of which is resisting white nationalist movements. Adherents are mostly socialist, anarchist, and communists, who, according to Mark Bray, a historian at Dartmouth College and author of Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, Quote, reject turning to the police or the state to halt the advance of white supremacy. Instead, they advocate popular opposition to fascism, as we witnessed in Charlottesville. He goes on, the basic principle of Antifa is no platform for fascism. If you ask them, they'll tell you that they believe you have to deny any and all platforms to fascism, no matter how big or small the threat. The original fascist group's that later seized power in Europe started out very small. You cannot, they argue, treat these groups lightly. You need to take them with the utmost seriousness, and the way to prevent them from growing is to prevent them from having even the first step toward becoming normalized in society. They also see this as a preventative action. They look at the history of fascism in Europe and say, we have to eradicate this problem before it gets any bigger, before it's too late. Sometimes that involves physical confrontation or blocking their marches or whatever the cause may be. It's also important to remember that these are self-described revolutionaries. They're anarchists, communists, who are way outside the traditional conservative liberal spectrum. They're not interested in and don't feel constrained by conventional norms. The other key point, which probably isn't made enough, is that these are revolutionary leftists. They're not concerned about the fact that fascism targets liberalism. They're self-described revolutionaries. They have no allegiance to liberal democracy, which they believe has failed the marginalized communities they're defending. They're anarchists and communists who are way outside traditional spectrums. Newsweek.com, September 1st, 2017. Are the Antifa terrorists? Feds have reportedly classified their activities as domestic terrorist violence. The Department of Homeland Security has formally classified the activities of anti-fascist groups, Antifa, as domestic terrorist violence since early 2016, according to a confidential law enforcement document obtained by Politico, in which federal authorities reportedly warned state and local officials that Antifa has become, quote, increasingly confrontational in efforts to thwart white supremacist groups. Newly disclosed documents show authorities believed anarchist extremists were the main cause of violence at a number of public rallies. A confidential 2016 joint intelligence assessment by DHS and the FBI blamed Antifa for attacks on a range of targets, including police, government institutions, and symbols of Quote, the capitalist system. One senior law enforcement official reportedly stated it was in that period, 
as the Trump campaign emerged that we really became aware of them. These Antifa guys were showing up with weapons, shields, and bike helmets and just beating the bleep out of people. They're using Molotov cocktails. They're starting fires. They're throwing bombs and smashing windows. Law enforcement officials have apparently been taken aback by the swift rise of Antifa, about which they still have much to learn have struggled to come up with an organized response. Independentco.uk 2017, that same report they're quoting, that the attacks are on symbols of the capitalist system, displays of racism, social injustice, or fascism. It described their activities as domestic terrorist violence. That word keeps coming up, domestic terrorist violence, in the wake of their arrival during the Charlottesville riots. And if you remember, that was about a young man who walked into a black Baptist church and shot the place up and the riots that began out of that. It just seems like these things pop up at an opportune time. Somebody gets triggered, something happens. Anyway, they were known for... uh, their actions being wrong in principle and, quote, becoming a major gift to the right. Eminent intellectual, who is described as the father of modern linguistics, Noah Chomsky, stated, As for Antifa, it's a minuscule fringe of the left, just as its predecessors were. It's a major gift to the right, including the militant right, who are exuberant. What they do often is wrong in principle, like blocking talks, and the movement is generally self-destructive, the 88-year-old said. When confrontation shifts to the arena of violence, it's the toughest and most brutal who win, and we know who that is. That's quite apart from the opportunity cost, the loss of the opportunity for education, organizing, and serious constructive activism. Attorney General William Barr noted on Saturday that the violence appears, quote, planned, organized, and driven by anarchic and leftist extremist groups, far-left extremist groups, using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom traveled outside the state to promote the violence. Sunday, May 31st, 2020, President Donald Trump said that he was designating Antifa as a domestic terrorism organization after another night of violent protest over racism and police violence erupted in cities across the nation. The violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and the other similar groups in connection with the rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly, Attorney General William Barr said in a statement. Let me read that statement to you so you get the full grasp on where the Department of Justice is going. Now listen to the wording here. A lot of this is very important for what's about to come down on this group. This is from the Department of Justice Office of Public Affairs for immediate release Sunday, May 31st, 2020, Attorney General William P. Barr's statement on riots and domestic terrorism. With the rioting that is occurring in many of our cities around the country, the voices of peaceful and legitimate protest have been hijacked by violent radical elements. Groups of outside radicals and agitators are exploiting the situation to pursue their own separate violent and extremist agenda. It's time to stop watching the violence and to confront and stop it. 
The continued violence and destruction of property endangers the lives and livelihoods of others and interferes with the rights of peaceful protesters as well as all other citizens. It also undercuts the urgent work that needs to be done through constructive engagement between affected communities and law enforcement leaders to address legitimate grievances. Preventing reconciliation and driving us apart is the goal of these radical groups, and we cannot let them succeed. It is the responsibility of state and local leaders to ensure that adequate law enforcement resources, including the National Guard where necessary, are deployed on the streets to reestablish law and order. We saw this finally happen in Minneapolis last night, and it worked. Federal law enforcement actions will be directed at apprehending and charging the violent radical agitators who have hijacked peaceful protests and are engaged in violation of federal law. To identify criminal organizers and instigators and to coordinate federal resources with our state and local partners, federal law enforcement is using our existing network of 56 regional FBI joint Terrorism Task Force, JTTF. The violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and other similar groups in connection with the rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly. Interesting wording there. I will be curious to see how this plays out. I'm seeing reports on social media that they've already built their file. They know who all the bad actors and players are. I am sincerely hoping that they don't just go after the foot soldiers, but they go after the source of the funds, that they follow it all the way to the top. And I'll mention to you in a little bit who I think that's going to bring us to when we come back. If you have a business, you need a website. One that tells your story, shows your vision, and portrays your passion. Contact Greg at timetogetasite.com for a free consultation or call 1-800-342-0324. Prospects want to know more about what you have to offer. Don't delay. Go to timetogetasite.com today or call 1-800-342-0324 and ask for Greg. The Porch, an online Bible study and community of believers. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern with archived broadcasts available for listen or download. Get a book of Acts Mindset to shake the world one last time before the return of the King. Firefall Talk Radio. Enlighten. Inspire. Encourage. Adriana Cohen of the BostonHerald.com wrote on September 1st, 2019. First off, Antifa really doesn't stand for anti-fascist, despite what the violent hooligans masquerading as protesters claim. The alt-left militant group, clad in only black, wearing face masks and helmets, resembling ISIS extremists, are most are more aptly described as anti-First Amendment as they, like other terror groups, use makeshift bombs, brute force, bricks, chains, and other weapons to silence any speech or ideology they disagree with. She describes a couple events where they showed up and did their 
little Antifa act, a satirical heterosexual pride event that they opposed, a self-described Antifa terrorist firebombed a ICE detention facility in Tacoma, Washington to oppose U.S. immigration policy. Uh, Another Antifa terrorist set a car ablaze and opened fire using an AR-15 and hurled Molotov cocktails at the detention center, which, by the way, housed over 1,000 migrants. And if it wasn't for the heroes in blue, scores would have been killed. In that June of 2019, Antifa anarchists also beat a conservative gay reporter, Andy Nego, hospitalizing him for covering for covering a Portland event while also bullying college students nationwide with threats that if they join a conservative group on campus, they will face, quote, consequences, including being doxxed online. Doxxed is when they expose all of your personal information, where you live, family members. It's an incredible invasion of privacy and danger to the individual. Now, mass condemnation by any lawmakers, left-wing, no, Presidential candidates, no. The media, no. And their actions are gaining praise from Iran and China, claiming that they're standing with them, standing with the rioters, the looters, the anarchists. Something has been created by celebrities. I want to tell you about the Minnesota Freedom Fund, a nonprofit that pays the bill for those who could not otherwise afford it. Celebrities and athletes are banding together to to bail out protesters, to pay the bail for those that supposedly can't afford it. Though they're offering nothing to business owners or people that have lost their life savings or even their lives, they've done nothing for any of the people attacked or the federal security guard that was killed or these store owners that have been beaten and broken bones and all that. No, they're not saying a word about that, but they are banding together for the protesters, model and cookbook author Chrissy Teigen, a regular Trump critic, officially donated 100000 to bail out protesters who were arrested after she received criticism on social media from commenters who called the recipients rioters and criminal. She doubled the donation. They may need more money. Make it 200000 I stand with our heroes out there in support and solidarity, she wrote on Instagram. If you don't know what else to do, every little bit help. Others are like Seth Rogen, uh, Monet, Steve Carell, Don Cheadle, Jamie Foxx, Justin Timberlake, actor-comedian Patton Oswalt, who compared Antifa and the rioters to the soldiers storming the beach on Normandy, singer Harry Styles, staff members from Joe Biden's campaign, celebrity cook and host of Top Chef Padma Lakshmi, wrote on Twitter on Friday that Minneapolis police were, quote, arresting black journalists and killing black people for simply existing while the leader of our government tweets, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, baiting a race war. This is America in 2020. Well, the extremely ignorant Miss Lakshmi, Lakshmi, whatever the heck her last name is, has no idea how a confederation of states, the United States of America, works. The governors run their states, Miss Padma, not the president. The president oversees it all. 
So talk to the governor in your state, which I believe you live in New York, or wherever you're living right now, to find out what's really going on. Noted liberal actor Mark Ruffalo added his loud mouth, I mean his voice, to the list. Monday on CNN's newsroom, former NBA star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar called the rioting in major cities across America, quote, the voices of the people who have no voice. Well, Mr. Jabbar, Abdul-Jabbar, Mr. Basketball Player, Mr. I Have an Opinion About Everything, these people have voices. They're called politicians and the media and everybody else that's speaking for them. America has reached a boiling point, and I really don't think the other side is considering what happens when it boils over. But let's keep going. Townhall.com. It's become clear that the Antifa members are using the George Floyd protest as an opportunity to engage in further violence. On Sunday, President Trump announced his intent to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. In the meantime, celebrities and Biden campaign staff will keep bailing them out. So who funds Antifa? I'm hoping that the DOJ investigation and eventual indictments reveal that. But two names keep coming up. Hillary Clinton and George Soros. After her failed presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton sent $800,000 to Onward Together, her self-created 2017 political action committee, which she has since refused to shut down. She doesn't have a campaign, but any. anyway, Clinton's pack Onward Together openly partners with five left-wing political groups, Indivisible, Swing Left, Color of Change, Emerge America, and Run for Something, all of which have ties to Antifa. Also in 2017, a major donation came from a group that was chaired by Hillary Clinton. During the 1980s, the New World Foundation gave $52,000. Medium.com, August 20th, 2017. How Soros came to own and fund Antifa is irrelevant to this discussion. He may have founded it. Antifa was first founded in the 1930s in Germany. Surely you realize that Soros doesn't exactly show up after an Antifa riot and take selfies with them. In other words, the links between Soros and Antifa are deliberately obscured. Few wealthy people ever admit to the dirty things they choose to do with their money, including funding terrorism and professional rioters. However, Medium.com did find a few leads, leads of varying quality, some are more vague than others. Globalist leftist mogul George Soros is the most prominent figure, continuing to be revealed to have links to Antifa. He has stated numerous times that a unified America is the greatest threat to the new world order. Well, here is one group that kind of outed Soros for not paying for their writing. George Soros, where's our money? That was the Beverly Hills Antifa. April 2017, they were demanding their payment. They had been offered $15 an hour to riot and do the things that they were doing. And apparently he was late paying his bills. And I have 
understand from a lot of things that I've read that seems to be a common problem. You can't go to their Twitter account at Bev Hills Antifa anymore because it's since been taken down. But these people get hired locally through Craigslist and other things. But there you go, George Soros, pay us our money. Move On is funded by George Soros and also the organization responsible for shutting down one of then-candidate Trump's rallies in Chicago on March 11th. Um, Move On's very prominent in many of the things doing. They sent hundreds of paid Bernie supporters to stage violent acts against the main street media and blamed on Trump despite the attackers admittedly being leftist extremists. That move on is one of the big ones that he uses. The Party for Socialism and Liberation, another Soros-funded organization, was the agent of choice used to provide funding for these leftist anarchists protesting Trump in Albuquerque. They were paid $15 an hour. RiseUp.net, funded by Soros Charity, charity and private donations. Um, it uses the Antifa ARA worldwide as email server web hosts and all their email and web addresses end with riseup.net. And if you want to look up the owners of that site, they hide behind names of birds. Daily Caller, uh, July 7, 2017, Antifa alias, one of their sponsors, is the Alliance for Global Justice, a GF, funded by George Soros, DailyCaller.com. February 2017, more evidence of Antifa connection with the Alliance for Global Justice. According to the most recent 990 tax form, Alliance for Global Justice received $2.2 million in funding for the fiscal year that ended March 2016. The Tides Foundation, another nonprofit funded by billionaire progressive philanthropist George Soros, they gave the Alliance for Global Justice $50,000. In an article written by a former Antifa member who got stipped financially by Soros, he posted the non disclosure agreement online. Everybody ran with it. I read the NDA, and I'm not so sure it wasn't just a spoof. Or a misdirection, but nobody ever took it down. Nobody ever fought it. Now, am I saying he can't do what he wants with his money? No, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. Anybody can do what they want with their money as long as it's legal, not subversive, and not treason. But George Soros has openly stated that America is in the way of the New World Order and that it is his ultimate life goal to destroy America and its position in the world as a capitalist, globalist power, la, 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 blah, blah, blah. He was openly against George Bush during the Bush years, and nothing has changed. You listen to him talk. He's hired a PR firm to change his social imprint and how people see him. If you speak out against him, he sends people after you. Remember last year, the year before, Roseanne Barr said some stuff about George Soros, and they came after her really hard, and eventually she just got off Twitter and went into hiding. He doesn't want anybody telling the truth like this. Of all the financial titans and philanthropists of the 20th century, none are more complex or mysterious than George Soros. Like Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and the Rockefellers, he amassed billions through ruthless business decisions, only to turn around and give away most of his fortune to advance his own personal philosophy. 
he can move world financial markets simply by voicing an opinion or destabilize a government by buying and selling its currency. He also pledged more aid last year to help people in Russia than the U.S. government did. But now George Soros is worried. He thinks the global economy is coming apart at the seams and that the world needs to be protected from people like George Soros. We may now think that everything is fine, but the fact is that the system is broke and it needs fixing. What you're doing is, is, is asking uh, some form of regulation to protect the world against you. Well, I am a player and I think all players should be regulated. There have to be rules of the game. Take 81,000 to buy. Buy 48,000. Buy him 69,000 YUM. Right now, his quantum group hedge fund moves $14 billion of rich investors' money around the world every day, looking for profits and answering to no one. Soros makes huge bets on whole countries and economies. Last year, when he saw cracks in the Asia boom, he began selling the currency in Thailand. Traders in Hong Kong followed suit, triggering a financial crisis that plunged much of Asia into a depression. In the last two years, you've been blamed for financial collapse of Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, and Russia. All of the, all of the above. That's, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Are you that powerful? No, I think there's a great misunderstanding. The prime minister of, of Malaysia yes. um, said that the region spent 40 years trying to build up its economy, and along comes a moron like Soros right. with a lot of money, and it's all over. He called you a criminal. It's easier for him to blame an outside force than to admit that they were mismanaging uh, their economy and their currency. The uh, French finance minister uh, talked about hanging uh, speculators from lampposts. Soros says the Asian currencies would have collapsed even if he hadn't been in the market. They were overvalued. He says people tend to follow his lead because he's been so successful. I think that uh, I've been blamed, blamed for everything. I am basically there to, uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of, of what I do. He's backed away from the day-to-day -day operation of his businesses and is giving away his billions now with the same determination that he made them in places like Haiti, a country that has less money in the bank than he does. Last month, he brought the First Lady with him for a look at some of the projects his foundation is funding. This is Mr. George Soros, and uh, he's going to be helping the hospital. This year, Soros plans to give away almost $500 million around the world. In Bosnia, when the water supply to Sarajevo was cut off at the height of the siege, it was Soros who wrote a check to jury-rig a pipeline through an abandoned highway tunnel. At the center of George Soros, there's an inherent contradiction. Which is? Which is, on one hand, uh, you're, the, you're the capitalist who does not care about the social consequences of his act. And on the other hand, you are a philanthropist who cares only about social consequences. How do you resolve the two? Recognizing that, that uh, as, a, as a competitor, I've got to compete to win. As a human being, I, can, I, I am concerned about the society in which I live. Which George Soros am I talking to now, the amoral George Soros or the, the moral George Soros? Uh, it's one person. It's one person who at one time engages in amoral activities and at the rest of the time tries to be moral. 
To understand the complexities and contradictions in his personality, you have to go back to the very beginning, to Budapest, where George Soros was born 68 years ago to parents who were wealthy, well-educated, and Jewish. When the Nazis occupied Budapest in 1944, George Soros' father was a successful lawyer. He lived on an island in the Danube and liked to commute to work in a rowboat. But knowing there were problems ahead for the Jews, he decided to split his family up. He bought them forged papers, and he bribed a government official to take 14-year-old George Soros in and swear that he was his Christian godson. But survival carried a heavy price tag. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds, confiscating property from the Jews. These are pictures from 1944 of what happened to George Soros's friends and neighbors. You're a Hungarian Jew mm -hmm. who escaped the Holocaust mm -hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events. Uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews. That's right. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child you don't, you don't see the connection uh, but it was, it created no, no problem at all. No feeling of guilt? No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go, I could just as easily be there, I should be there, none of that. Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but uh, there was no sense that I shouldn't be there because uh, that was, uh, uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. That was a 60 Minutes interview with George Soros from 1998. That was clips from that. If you paid attention, you heard the name Haiti, Hillary Clinton, George Soros. What did that add up to? George Soros... An estimated $24.6 billion fortune, of which he has moved $18 billion to his foundation, the Open Society Foundation. 
to promote democracy around the globe. Yeah, that's what it's for. It has outposts in 100 countries. It's worked to combat authoritarianism, promote human rights, support marginalized groups, including refugees, the LGBT community, and minorities. That's where his money goes to open society. You'll find that name in a lot of the subversive activity and things like that. The foundation spent $14 billion since the 1980s. Soros, who's the chairman of the Open Society Foundation, came under fire from Hungary, who has accused him of being a national security risk and trying to destroy their economy. Israeli's foreign minister in July accused Soros of working to continuously undermine Israel's democratically elected government by funding organizations that defame the Jewish state and seek to deny its right to defend itself. A spokesman for Soros said at the time that his views were consistently and willfully misrepresented. Well, folks, if you're going to take baby steps to Babylon, it's going to need help, and it's going to need helpers. And the coming of the Antichrist, the New World Order, and taking us into that era is going to need money. You connect the dots. You figure it out for yourself. I'm just giving you a view from above. Figure it out for yourself. Connect the dots. See what you come up with. I'm Richard Grund. This has been Overwatch on Firefall Talk Radio. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.